The Holy Gospel for this third Sunday in Easter comes from John chapter 21. After Jesus appeared to his followers in Jerusalem, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there, with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them, And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, Jesus said to him, follow me. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. First, I want to say thank you to all of you who are helping in worship today, who read the lessons. It's no small thing to get up here in front of, these are very nice people. They have never yet thrown anything at me, but I'm saying it's nervous to get up here and do that. And you did a great job. All of you who sang were amazing and you made both your pastors cry. So good job. It was well done. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our creator, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Since last week, Pastor Gina started off with a golf joke, I'm going to start with a fishing story. Here we go. One bright and beautiful Sunday morning, a pastor woke up and decided to go fishing. He was scheduled to preach, but the weather was perfect and the water was just right, so he called the associate pastor and told her that he was (coughs) not feeling very well and could she possibly step in. 
he gathered up his fishing gear and headed to the lake. As he sat in the water, in the boat, lying in the water, sun on his skin, in a state of perfect contentment, an angel looked down from heaven. Horrified, the angel ran to God. God, God, have you seen this, your servant? It's Sunday morning, and he skipped out on worship and dumped it all on the associate pastor, and he is fishing. Yes, said God, I did notice. While they were watching, the pastor felt a tug on his line. For 15 minutes, he fought and pulled until finally he hauled in the biggest catch of his life. Stunned, he looked at it flopping around in the bottom of the boat. He had never caught anything like this in his life, not even close. Up in heaven, the angel turned to God. Are you kidding me? The angel said. This guy lies, skips out on his colleague and his congregation, disregards the Sabbath day, and you reward him with the best catch he's ever had? Yep, said God, and who's he ever going to tell about it? (laughs) Is fishing a solitary experience or a group effort? I have only been fishing, really fishing once, and it was a deep sea expedition with a group from my previous congregation. I spent the entire time trying not to lose my lunch over the side of the boat and no time actually fishing. So I can't really comment on the technicalities of the experience. But I do know that fishing can be a solo project. It can be a way to spend time alone in the silence of an early morning with only the lapping of the water against your boat or the feel of the river moving against your waders. It can give you that time to think and reflect. Just take a deep breath and be in the beautiful world with only one thing to think about, that line in front of you. But even then, fishing is never complete until you get to tell somebody the story. Today's story fishing stories from the Gospel of John, and it is the fourth time that the risen Jesus has appeared to his friends. First, he appears to Mary Magdalene at the tomb, as she is weeping and sure that her friend's body has been stolen and she doesn't know what to do about it, and then thinking that the nice stranger who comes and talks to her is the gardener, until finally Jesus says her name and Mary recognizes him. Then Jesus walks into a Room where his disciples are gathered out of fear and anxiety about the kind of trouble that they might be in with the authorities, and he breathes peace into them. Then a third time, because one of the disciples wasn't there that day, Thomas, Jesus comes back into that locked room and shows Thomas the wounds in his hands and his side, among other things, living proof that our wounds, wherever they are, visible or not, should never be sources of shame or signs of separation from God. And now Jesus is back again. Fourth time's the charm, sort of, kind of. The disciples are gathered together again. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and a handful of others whose names we don't get. Although they have been with the risen Jesus two or three times already, they're still at a bit of a loss about what it means for the rest of their lives. What are they supposed to do? So like many of us, they go back to something familiar, something they know how to do. The future feels uncertain, unknown, uncharted, and many of us in that, just, 
in that circumstance just need to feel confident that we know how to do something. So Simon Peter stands up and says to them all, I'm going fishing. Note what he says, I'm going fishing. Not, hey guys, let's go fishing. Simon Peter seems to want the solitary experience. Not just, not just the peace and quiet, but the isolation. Why? Well, it's hard to know. We can't read Peter's minds, but there's, there could be a lot of reasons. Grief can do that, can isolate us from one another, can leave us feeling as if we are the only one who knows this depth of loss and pain. We know that pandemics can do that, can isolate us from each other, can keep us apart because it's the way to stay safe, but also take away so much of the joy of being human. There are a million reasons that we might choose isolation or feel it land upon us, good things and bad, retirement, graduation, a diagnosis, a new job, a new town, a new school. You can feel alone for a thousand reasons, when you fail or when you succeed. You can find yourself choosing isolation when you don't know what else to do. Sometimes without even realizing you're doing it, you just stand up and say, ah, I'm going fishing. On the front cover of your bulletin today is a small but big word, just two letters, the word we. Underneath it are two smaller words, are called. You might recognize these as the first three words of our congregational mission statement. We are called by the Holy Spirit to proclaim and embody the compassionate, challenging, inclusive love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. And all of that starts with that one simple word, we. It's not an easy time to be a we. <laughs> Lots of the we experiences that we've known in our lives seem to be coming apart at the seams as we struggle to understand what it means to be a community in the world these days. Who are we as church? Not just Holy Spirit Lutheran Church, but churches. Who are we as a Christian church in an increasingly less religious world where churches have done a lot of damage over time? Who are we as a region? Particularly the sort of greater Seattle Pacific Northwest. While housing prices soar and homelessness soars alongside it, and the institutions and organizations we have trusted to solve the problems don't seem to be getting very far. Who are we as a nation, tearing ourselves apart over our history and our future, over our democracy and our shared systems, over our dreams and our visions, and even over what we can agree to be true? Who are we as a world, racked by growing inequities and climate change and wars, with everything we need to solve it all, but no clear path for how to get there? So many reasons to ask. Who are we? Maybe Peter just wanted to get away for a few minutes of silence. Maybe he's an introvert at heart. Nothing wrong with that. Or maybe he was in despair about what to do next in his life and seeking that comfort of an old pattern, something he could do without having to think about it so much. Or maybe he was afraid deep down that Jesus wouldn't want him anyway 
after he denied Jesus three times before he died. Whatever the reason, Peter figures he's, he's on his own now. And so he stands up and says, I'm going fishing. And how do his friends respond? We will go with you. We are called by the Holy Spirit to proclaim and embody the compassionate, challenging, inclusive love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. This, my friends, this whole thing, this life, this church, this faith, this is a group effort. Sure, you'll be on your own sometimes. We all will be out there in our own small boats. But even then, when you get back on shore, you at least want to tell somebody the story of it. Unfortunately, a lot of American versions of Christianity have put so much emphasis on the individual person. Faith as your own choice. It's just you and Jesus out there in the boat, and you're on your own. We will go with you. That's church. That's faith. Choosing one another. Choosing to go with one another. These real, messy, imperfect, frustrating people that you are church with. Sitting next to somebody today that you don't know and you're not going to run into uh, in your weekly lives. But trusting that there's more that connects you than that separates you. Singing a hymn that you've never heard of, stumbling your way through it, and realizing the person next to you, this is their favorite hymn. They can't wait to sing it. They've been waiting for weeks. Sharing a sign of peace, an elbow bump, a fist, a a handshake, or whatever awkward combination of both we're trying to figure out. Sharing a sign of peace in hopes that that little moment in here becomes a bigger moment and movement in the world. Children, Youth, and Family Sunday is no better reminder than how important it is for us to be a we. To remember that these kids in this congregation, they're not somebody else's kids. They are your kids. They're ours. They belong to God, and we belong to God, and therefore we belong to each other. Will kids sometimes be loud in worship, drop their pencils, laugh at the wrong moment, ask for a snack during prayers, have to go to the bathroom during the sermon? Sure. We all did at some point. But I'll say, as somebody actively raising a child right now in a time of social media pressures and fractured social structures and rising mental health challenges and the unknown long-term impacts of a pandemic on our kids, on behalf of those of us raising kids, I want to say thank you. Thank you for loving my kid. Thank you for loving these kids. Because it matters to them that church is a place where they feel they belong, that they come to experience love in this room and that room and all over the world through you. That is how they come to know God. And when they walk into this place, they need to know that. So that when they come to a time in their lives when they think the only thing left is to say, I'm going fishing. They know that you are here to say, well, then we'll go with you. It's also Confirmation Sunday. We're going to celebrate in a little bit with Branson, Garrett, Anaya, Grace, Maya, Hannah, Julia, Victoria, Olivia, two Katies, Arabella, Brooks, Addie, and Benny. 
who have, and there is no exaggeration here, been through the weirdest three years of confirmation in the last several generations. They started in person, and then they went on Zoom, and then they were outside for a while, and then they were back inside, and then they had masks, and then they didn't. They had snacks, and then they didn't, which was the worst. They picked up lessons from confirmation drive-by sessions. They came to do small groups outside, sitting in their coats and their hats and their masks and their gloves until it was dark, just so they could be together. We tell them all along the way that confirmation is a lifelong experience. Faith is a lifelong journey. Confirmation is one milestone along the way. What we've tried to do with them is share some of what we, the Christian church, have learned over the years about praying and worshiping, about meals together and baptism. We've tried to say, we have found these helpful and we want to share them with you. We don't expect that when they get up here today, they understand all of that any more than any of us do. We do expect that someday they will come to a time in their lives, maybe they've been there already, when it feels like they're all alone, when nobody understands and nothing makes sense. Someday they're going to say, I'm going fishing. And today, the rest of us are here to promise, then we will go with you. Over and over again, the Gospels teach us that nobody recognizes Jesus on their own. Nobody. Mary Magdalene doesn't. The disciples don't repeatedly. Nobody looks up at the risen Christ and says of their own independent ability, hey, I know you, and I know what you want me to do. Not a one. Over and over again, the Gospels teach us that we human beings think we can recognize Jesus on our own, think we should, think that that's what faith is. I'm going fishing. We'll say, I know how to do it by myself. And over and over again, Jesus taps us on the shoulder and reminds us to turn to one another and say, hey, we'll go with you. Over and over again, the gospel, the good news is we need each other. That we are meant to be a we to go fishing together, to feed the sheep together, to grieve together and laugh together, to struggle together with what's good and right and true so that we can all get there together. It is a radical act of the gospel to be a we, to choose this messy human life together, to believe that we can exist together as a community. We can show up for each other. We can love each other. And we can share a mission and act on it together. It's not easy. But fishing never is. On the other hand, fishing is no good if you never get to tell the stories. And sit on the beach and light the fire and roast the fish. And eat that breakfast with the Jesus who calls us into life together. And says to us, we are loved. We are called. So that we can say to each other, We will go with you. Amen.